gives information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Jamie Dupree comes right at you from the Hill in D.C. On the Sean Hannity Show. All right, glad you're with us. He's the most connected man in Washington, D.C. He's Jamie Dupree. How are hey, you, Sean? Sir? How you doing? All right, so I read the New York, I'm sorry, the Washington Post, as I do every day, a lot of the New York papers. There's an article today, and this intrigued me quite a bit, by Elizabeth Warren, who many Democrats have tried to get to run for president. So it's not an article. It's an op-ed. You know, do, do you have to get so technical, really? Yes, I do, because you, you made I, it sound. I thought right. you were talking it about is, an article in the paper. Right, an op-ed by all Elizabeth right. Warren and Comrade Bill de Blasio, the <laughs> communist. How do you feel about the mayor of New York City? He's the worst. <laughs> he actually made this statement the other day. He says, well, a lot of people outside of New York understand what's happening in the first year in New York City better than the people of in New York City. So, in other words, the people that know him best uh, think he's doing a horrible job, but the people outside New York really think he's great. What a dumb statement. Anyway, so they write this. They co-author. Let me get this professionally correct here. They co-author an op-ed in the Washington Post today, Mr. Jamie DeBuy. It was yesterday, but yes. Yes, okay. And then what they say is... Um, we don't want this anymore. We want a strong middle class. The rich get richer. Everyone else falls behind. The game is rigged. People who rigged it wanted to stay that way. And I'm reading this thing, and I'm thinking, you know, as they talk about the increasing disparity, rich and poor and cronyism, an economic system that only works for those at the top, bad for the middle class, I'm thinking the conversations took place between Elizabeth and Comrade de Blasio. And they're thinking... If the Clinton campaign goes off the rails, as many see it happening, that they may want to team up. Did you in any way get that out of that op-ed? Um, no, but I did I did sort of see it because um, there was some talk yesterday about what de Blasio had written here with Warren about it sort of being the liberal version of the contract with America. You know, Newt Gingrich's famous uh, thing that he put together back there in there are only four specific items. Increase the minimum wage and... And invest in child care and, and after school programs, extend learning days and 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 lower the cost of college tuition and student loans should be given at lower rates and focus on research and innovation to develop new technologies. It's it's not a contract. Well, what I'm saying was it to me, after seeing those stories, it looked to me like the seeds of sort of them putting together something and trying to say to, to push Hillary Clinton more to uh, sort of align herself point by point with some of these things that they brought up. And, you know, a lot of it, you read it, I could envision Hillary Clinton being on board with a lot of it. But I do think that the either the mayor, Senator Warren or others are looking to sort of influence Hillary Clinton and push her along on some of these things. So that's what I saw in it more than anything else. I mean, you know, I think we can uh, we can think about what if Hillary Clinton goes down the tubes or what if there's a problem here or there. But I mean, there was another poll today uh, from Quinnipiac in Iowa that showed zero in the way of movement away from Hillary Clinton and zero in the way of anybody gaining. In fact, the Quinnipiac people went out of their way to note that despite all the negative publicity the last few weeks about the Clinton Foundation, about the email situation and more, that Clinton's numbers didn't move a bit the yeah. wrong way. By the way, in, in New Jersey, they call it Quinnipiac. Okay. It's a New Jersey term. Well, I'm just I'm just giving you New York. The school's speech. in Connecticut, though, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but okay. it's in New Jersey. There's, there's a place in New Jersey. That's where it comes from. Uh, hey, so, listen, um, let me let me um, let me ask you this, because I'm reading this and another thought comes to my head because they, they, it was so full of class warfare and so much talk. We now have the latest numbers and we have we have what, 20 percent of the population pays what, 40, I'm sorry, 84 percent of the tax. Say it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you got you got the bottom 50 to 60 percent paying 2 percent of the federal income taxes. 
And all they talk about is income uh, disparity in the country. All they talk about is redistribution. Here's my take on where the Democratic Party, maybe I'm reading too deep into this. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong. And what I see is that they have decided, meaning the likes of Comrade de Blasio and Elizabeth Warren viewed on the left of the Democratic Party, people like Obama and Hillary Clinton is being pulled in this direction. There has been a decision and they figure that there's a lot more poor people out there and they are banking on getting enough poor people out there, promising them that they will that they will be empowered to basically steal on their behalf and redistribute that money. And and I suspect that this might resonate if you have a larger and larger percentage of the population dependent on government. So I think that's what they're banking on. I think this is the future of the Democratic Party. It is a full socialist party, in other words. I, I don't think that, uh, I, I mean, they've been pressing those kinds of themes for a number of years, so I don't see anything sort of quote-unquote brand new about it. I do think with uh, pressing the case for a higher minimum wage and other items, that yes, they want to bring those issues to the fore and focus on them and, and try to force the Republicans to focus on them as well. I think the question that any Republican ought to raise is are you better off than you were eight years ago? Median income is down nearly $5,000 per family. You look at the number of people on welfare and in food stamps, poverty, those numbers are up by nearly 20 million. Well, those metrics are available for them, and you can rattle off a number of stats in any kind of stump speech uh, to make no. those exact comparisons. And uh, I would think that any Republican would certainly take, would find numbers to his or her advantage and want to use exactly those. Yeah, and add to that that he's accumulated more debt than every other president before him combined. All right, we've got uh, some action going on in the Senate today. By the way, do you know anything about the trade bill? Why can't we get a copy of this trade bill that is being proposed that Mitch McConnell is going to ha- allow a vote on? Well, it's it not happens? the trade bill itself. It's the trade deal that you wouldn't see. Um, the, the, that's the way I understand, because the, the U.S. would negotiate a trade deal with these. Why can't Asian- we see it? Pacific nations. Well, A, it hasn't been done. But I think what what the idea is to fast track it so that the president could negotiate the plan and put it before Congress for an up or down vote, just straight up or down, no amendments allowed. It's always controversial. Uh, in the past, we, we've seen similar situations like this, where there's usually a broad array of Democrats against it, some Republicans against it. I sort of think the, the opposition may, it, it may seem to be bigger than it actually is, but we'll probably have votes on that legislation to give that fast-track authority over the next couple of weeks before Congress leaves on a Memorial Day break. And I see that the Senate had a 98-1 to vote today in favor of this bill to allow Congress to review any nuclear deal. Tom Cotton was the only one that voted no. Yeah, and the irony of that was is that his legislative maneuver of last week to try to force an amendment of his and one of Marco Rubio's to the fore and and try to push their way into getting votes on some amendments that Democrats didn't like, it sort of undermined a deal that they were trying to strike. In fact, Cotton's on the floor right now talking about it. It undermined a deal and therefore didn't allow a vote on a on a plan from Senator Ted Cruz and Pat Toomey that uh, those Republicans from Texas and Pennsylvania wanted to vote on to try to turn this deal around. Remember, we, as we've explained it, this does allow a voice for Congress on the on any Iran nuclear deal. But what it allows is a vote on a resolution of disapproval, not a straight up or down yes, no vote on any agreement with Iran. I would think that, look, 98 to one. How many times do we get votes like that? We'll uh, have this the one absent. Uh, Barbara Boxer of California was not here today. You know what's frustrating about this is uh, I think the Rubio Amendment was the one that would have demanded that they first recognize Israel's right to exist. Yes. And and there were other amendments there that would have would have caused or, or demanded that, that Iran act in ways where they, I assume, uh, stop being a state sponsor of terror and certain things to set up a deal which should have been done originally by the administration. I would have voted no on this deal. I would have voted with Cotton. 
Well, there was but only one. Ted Cruz, uh, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, the three Republicans who are now in the race, all voted for the plan. Yeah, I'd have to see whatever changes were made since we last discussed it, because I know that there were some changes that they were going to make, even though they offered no amendments, but I'd have to read it. All right, so what else is going on today? I guess, uh, did you hear that the FBI is yet to contact Pam Geller? Um, I had not heard that. I know the uh, the FBI chief met with reporters today. I was uh, Unfortunately, it was just beat reporters at the Justice Department, so I wasn't in on it. But what he told reporters was that the FBI had notified the police in Garland, Texas, about three hours before the Sunday attack about this guy, uh, one of the shooters, Elton Simpson, and that they had developed information that they thought he was interested in this Muhammad cartoon drawing contest. And, you know, they didn't have any indication that he was planning something, but that police, local authorities should be aware of this guy. So they they at least had developed some indication that he was focused on this through it didn't say what, but uh, that uh, it was far from a complete picture at that time. And they were not able to say positively that he was on his way to Texas or anything like that. Well, that tells me that there's hope that they are doing their job behind the scenes. Um, I get passed on on social media by a lot of people. There are people who spend hours every day monitoring the the Twitter and Facebook accounts of people that that express their sympathy or support for ISIS and terror. And for example, some tweets are forwarded to me, and then you click on translate from the Arabic. And you know, there's a lot of people that monitor this, and I gotta hope that the FBI is on top of this. This is some indication that they, in fact, were. You know, this is interesting because there was a hearing today, Sean, on this exact thing. How has the Islamic State been able to reach across the ocean and use social media to attract not only supporters, but aspirational supporters as well, like uh, these two guys? And it was interesting because a lot of experts, uh, they, they, they really didn't have a, a, a concrete answer for why the Islamic State had been more able to do this than, say, al-Qaeda, but that certainly that they have been. There were some, though, that said, look, the Fed should crack down on this social media. They should snuff out the, the ability of these different uh, people overseas to be in communication with Americans here on Twitter and other things. But then there was one witness who said, yeah, but if you do that, if you take these sites down and you go after them, you're undermining your own intelligence ability. So it was sort of an interesting thing that on one hand, there was the argument, well, you should shut down all these avenues for these people to get in contact with Americans here and maybe uh, spread their views about a jihad and more. But on the other hand, if you did that, then you wouldn't be able to get some of these clues that you're able to get. There are two stories I saw, saw today that made me think of you. One is the Department of Agriculture looking at data from 2007 through 2010, compared the average weights of those on food stamps, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, to those who were not. And what they found is food stamp recipients are far more likely to be obese than poor people who are eligible but don't take the help. And the IRS did not fire some 61% of agency workers who were found to have willfully violated federal tax law. law. Yeah, that one was a story that I got out on front uh, yesterday. And boy, what an interesting thing. If you work for the IRS, the rule is very simple. If you willfully violate tax law, that is, you're on purpose underreporting your income or you're taking a tax break that you don't deserve, you know, a myriad of things, you are supposed to be fired, period, end of sentence. But... There is a last resort. All the cases go up to the tax commissioner. And the inspector general at the IRS looked at uh, over a 10-year period from 2004 to 2013 and found that 61% of the IRS workers who were found to have willfully violated federal tax law, that they were allowed to keep their jobs. And not only that, after they closed the books on their investigation of these people, then a lot of them who stayed on the job later got pay increases, promotions, uh, awards, uh, personnel awards, and more. And so, 
you know, the bottom line was you could break the law in a sense and violate federal tax law, not do the right thing at the IRS and still get a pay raise and a bonus afterward. It seems that new AP poll shows that Republicans want a candidate to reverse Obama's action on on immigration, but they also see themselves voting for someone who would keep that policy in place. So it's not a, a deal killer. What did you think? No, of that I poll? think it's I think it's split much like the two parties are badly yeah. split about it, just about even down the middle. You know, again, I think we're going to be yelling about this for the next 16 months. And honestly, this reminds me of a Jesse Helms election. I'm going to say it hundreds of times. We're starting at 47, 47 or 48, 48. And we're going to fight an awful lot over those last few percent. It's really true. I mean, I think that's why you see the poll numbers for Hillary the way they are. Yeah, I mean, the the poll that came out today that, you know, showed Democratic voters not running from her, the the fight is going to be over those swing voters that both parties can't stand because they go back and forth, and that's going to be the nut they're going to have to crack. All right, Jamie Dupree, the most connected man in Washington. Thank you, sir. Hey, Sean. Don't forget, it's Mother's Day Sunday, Jamie. Don't forget. I won't forget. All right. For all the moms in our life, now think about this. Your mom changed your diapers. Your mom took care of you, stayed up all night when you were sick. Your mom picked you up when you fell down. Your mom was there when you had a bad day. Your mom was there at every point in your life. And this is the one day a year we recognize how great our moms are. It's Mother's Day, and it's here. It's this Sunday. 1-800-Flowers.com is the place to go. The official florist for Mother's Day. My choice for flowers. Guaranteed to make all the moms in your life smile. And by the way, that means the mother of your children, your own mom, Grandma, don't forget your great-grandma, don't forget your mother-in-law. They all deserve to be remembered. And you can get this only through today at midnight. 1-800-Flowers.com is a special Mother's Day offer just for you, my listeners. 24 beautiful multicolored roses for all the moms in your life, only $29.99, regularly $49.99. That's a $20 savings. A full bouquet, two dozen stunning roses, $29.99. Order today while supplies last. Now, to get this bouquet delivered to say thank you and I love you to all the moms in your life, just go to 1-800-Flowers.com, use your desktop or mobile device, just click on the radio microphone in the upper right-hand corner, enter my last name, Hannity. 1-800-Flowers.com, my last name, Hannity, or just call 1-800-Flowers and mention my last name. And why are you doing this? Because it's your way to say thank you, I love you, thanks for all that you have done for me this Mother's Day. Do it now, 1-800-Flowers.com, because you're a great person. If you miss one day, you'll be out of the loop. Would someone please tell me what is going on here? This is the Sean Hannity Show. News 95.5 and AM 750. WSB. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.